You may have noticed that, you know, we, things are a little bit different today. Uh, you're walking and seeing the, the, the number one on, uh, on the walls, and uh, this service is not being brought to you by the number one, like, you know, Sesame Street or something like that. Uh, it's, it's all connected to, uh, to value. Uh, our mission statement as a church is we exist to exalt Jesus Christ, become his fully devoted followers, and share his grace and truth with all people. And the, the, one of those values, that, that outreach, uh, sharing grace and truth with all people, uh, is about living that out in the neighborhoods and the nations. And so that, you're going to hear that express today. Uh, and, and it's going to be expressed in a lot of different ways. You're, you're going to see some video. You're going to hear some, uh, some aspects, some, uh, some perspective on what's happening in our world. And it really is all pointing down to, uh, with all that's going on in our world, with all the huge issues going on in the world, you know, what difference can we make? And it, 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 it focuses on this, this number one, the one thing that God uh, is calling us to do and, and be. My name is Ashley Dalen. I get the privilege of being a youth pastor here at Salem Alliance Church. And I want you to jump back with me to my last quarter at Tacoma Community College. I was about to graduate and get my associate's degree. And I was so ready to move on to the next adventure God had for me. Community college had felt like a prison sentence. And I was ready to be done with it and move on to real ministry. My last quarter, I had three classes, one of which was speech and communications with Professor Ramos. Luckily, my good friend Bethany also had the class with me. So we quickly claimed two seats in the back right-hand corner of the room by the door, always ready for a quick escape. At the beginning of the quarter, Professor Ramos asked us if we'd be willing to engage in a get-to-know-you activity with the people who sat around us. And for me, being an extrovert, that's like being invited to a party. So I quickly got to know the people who sat around us. To our left stood a nice guy who was tall, pre-med student, who we later discovered cheated on every single test in that class. And in front of us sat two girls from Vietnam, one of which was named Rita. Three days a week, we would all come to class, take our self-assigned seats, and listen to lectures on speech. Other than that original get-to-know-you activity, I didn't really spend any time trying to get to know those people very well because my goal was to go to that class, get an A, and get out of there as quick as I could. When I wasn't at school, I was working part-time at a church doing middle school and high school youth activities. And the church I was working at decided that they wanted to start a college group. And I figured since I was in college and I was single, I should probably check it out. So I went a couple times to this college group and got to see the, or got a feel for what they were doing, but I wasn't really sure what my involvement with the group would be. A couple weeks later, I'm sitting in class, sitting in Professor Ramos's class, listening to him lecture, when all of a sudden this idea just explodes in my mind. You should invite Rita to college group. The thought seemed odd since I hadn't said more than 50 words to the girl, but I couldn't get the thought out of my head. You should invite Rita to college group. As I left class that day, I tried to ignore and shake the idea. I told myself how awkward it would be and convinced myself that there's no way she'd want to go anywhere with me because she doesn't even know me. It was a stupid idea. But I couldn't get it out of my head. And it slowly became apparent to me that it wasn't my idea. It was God's idea. And he was calling me to take an awkward and vulnerable step and ask Rita to college group. I told God it was never going to work, but I knew he was calling me to take this step of boldness, and deep down I wanted to follow him with all of who I was, so I told him I'd ask her the next class period. 
The next class came, and as I walked in and sat behind Rita, I could feel my pulse quicken and my stomach tighten. I couldn't listen to anything my professor said that day because I was so focused on the one step I knew I had to take. And before I knew it, class was over and my moment had come. And so with a trembling hand, I reached forward and tapped her on the shoulder and she turned around and I said, hey Rita, would you be interested in coming to college group with me tomorrow? She paused and I braced myself for rejection when she said, yeah, that sounds kind of fun. I live in some apartments across the street. Could you come and pick me up? I said yes, and that was the beginning of my friendship with Rita. Over time, I got to learn her story and her journey to America to do university here and about her family that was all back in Vietnam and the culture there. Rita began coming with me every week to college group, and Rita began to hear about a God who loved her and a Jesus who died for her. I had always thought that to impact someone from another culture, I had to go to another culture. But I was wrong. I didn't go to Vietnam. I simply went to my classroom. My one step was inviting. My name is Heidi Scott, and I usually sit over there at 9.30. It began for me a few years ago when my kids were two and four. I was fully emerged in the diaper land. I, my, my days were filled with laundry, cooking, cleaning, sleep deprivation, and Mickey Mouse. I wasn't thinking about how God could use me. To be honest, I didn't get it out of my pajamas most days. But one day a week, I lived for Thursdays. Thursday morning, I would take a shower, get dressed, and haul my two children to Hearts at Home here at Salem Alliance, where I would join with 100 other women to study the Bible, drink coffee, pray for one another, and lean into Jesus. I didn't think that God had a plan for my life. I wasn't thinking, how could I lead someone to Jesus? I could barely lead my kids through Winco without a disaster. (laughs) But it was at Hearts at Home that I heard it. A woman came one week and she spoke. And she talked about a ministry to teenage moms named Young Lives. Young Lives is a ministry of young life. A ministry that goes into the lives of teenagers and meets them right where they are, provides friendship, mentoring, and the love of Jesus Christ. As I heard her talk about Salem, Oregon, and that here in Salem, there are an average of 200 births a year to teenage girls, my heart broke open because I got what it's like to struggle with a crying baby and diapers and a wiggly toddler running away from me. But I didn't understand how, I could, how that could be done by a 15, 16, or 17-year-old. So when she said that here in Salem there wasn't young lives, there was no ministry to teen moms, my heart began to pound, I began to sweat, and tears streamed uncontrollably out of my eyes because I could hear Jesus saying, it's time to go. But I didn't think I could go, I didn't think I had anything to offer, I didn't think that there was anything that my life could do to change, to impact the world. But a group of women and I decided we would start to pray. And as we prayed, we heard the Lord leading and we heard him saying, I am going, I am out there, come and be a part of what I'm doing. And so we were invited to go to the teen parent program. That's a high school here in Salem that teaches to just teen moms. There's 100 girls enrolled there. They provide childcare as the girls go to class and they get their actual high school diplomas. 
Before we knew it, God was moving. And that summer, we took eight girls to Washington Family Ranch. That's Young Life's camp in eastern Oregon, where all summer long, thousands of high schoolers go to have the best week of their life. And we took eight teenage moms to have the best week of their lives. There, the camp was filled with 200 other teen moms and nannies who would care for those babies as we lived with them, played with them, we swam, we laughed like teenagers. And each night, a speaker would stand up and he would tell the greatest love story ever told. He would talk to them about how the God of the universe created them, loved them, and that he had a plan and that he sent his son to redeem their lives. At the end of that week, seven girls gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Four years later, I now have three kids, two, five, and seven. I'm still changing diapers. But I'm also the coordinator for Salem Young Lives. And with a team of women, we are going out every week and we are giving our lives away to kids. We are meeting with teen moms at their school, having lunch. We are inviting them to be a part of our families, to eat dinner with us, to, be, to have play dates with us, to go swimming with us. We're also leading Bible studies with them. One of them is being led right here at Salem Alliance. We bring a, girl, a group of girls here to Hearts at Home, where they're learning about Jesus. One of the first girls that I met, her name was Jane. Jane was 17 years old, and she had a nine-month-old son. Jane was broken and lost without hope, and she was angry. Brought Jane to camp that first summer, and she, she shook under the love of Jesus. Over the past three years, Jane has given her life away to the Lord. She has followed him. She has come here and joined us at Hearts at Home, and she even this last year joined a single women's Bible study. I am proud and just over the moon to tell you that right now, Jane and her four-year-old son, Kenny, are in Montana at Youth with a Missions Discipleship Training School, where she and Kenny are being trained to go on a mission. And in August, they'll go to Thailand to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. Back then, right, right? Back then, I did not know what God was calling me to do, but I knew that he was calling me. My one step was to simply say yes. Thanks, Ashley and Heidi. My name is Sean O'Connor. I'm one of the middle school pastors here, and privileged to be one of the middle school pastors here. And, and I, I want to talk you through, I want to go through a story, a story that you've probably heard before, it's a story that you're, uh, it would, most, for most of you, it won't be new, but hopefully my goal is to bring a new perspective, is to bring new light. And so if you have a Bible, uh, will you turn with me to the Gospel of John uh, chapter 6? And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in front of you, or if you're in the front uh, section, it should be underneath you. And if you grab one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1,683. Um, we're looking at John chapter six right at the beginning, and uh, it's, it's a story of over 5,000 people, some bread, some fish, and a boy. And so if you will, uh, I'm just gonna kind of jump into this. After this, and we're starting on verse, verse one. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. 
It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. And Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. So turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Stop there. So we have this story where we have over 5,000 people. The Bible says 5,000 men, right? So it doesn't include the women or children that were there. So we have over 5,000 people, and, and, and we're going to put ourselves in this story. So if you will, you're part of that 5,000 group, and, and you're out here, and you're following Jesus because of the signs he's doing. And then, then there's this boy, and this boy is carrying along, it's, uh, he's carrying along his lunch, right? It's a pretty beefy lunch for a boy, if we're honest, and most likely his mother packed it, let's be real. So happy Mother's Day to you. So he's got the bread here, and, and he also has the fish, and I have fish sticks. So these are our fish. So this will do. It, he probably had a little more fish than that. But to get the idea, so, so this boy had some bread, and he had some fish sticks, and he's the only one that packed this lunch, and Jesus asked this ridiculous question, seemingly ridiculous question to Philip. He says, Philip... How are, how are we going to feed all these people? And again, if we put ourselves in the situation, Philip's response is rational. If, if I was Philip, I'd probably say the same thing, like, uh, uh, <laughs> like, are you kidding me? There's no way. In some of your Bibles at the footnotes at the bottom, or maybe actually in, in the scripture there, it says, it, Philip responds, it would take 200 denarii, a denarii being a day's wage. So it would take 200 days of working, Jesus, to, fill, to feed all these people for one meal. And I don't even know him. He, that was my part at the end. He doesn't say, I don't even know him. But he says, it would take 200 working days. Some scholars believe that if the disciples pooled all of their money together and all of their belongings and they went and sold it, basically just keeping the clothes on them at that time, that they would most likely have about 200 denarii worth. And so in a sense, Jesus is turning to one of his disciples and he's saying, how are we gonna feed them? We being the disciples, how are we gonna feed them are you willing to give everything you have to feed these people you don't know? And I can, I can if, if I'm here, I can believe that this is kind of awkward, right? This is kind of an uncomfortable situation. If I'm having this conversation and Jesus is here and I'm Philip and you guys could probably hear a little bit of this. And so Philip's probably like, do you know how, how much I'm paid? Like, I don't, I'm on disciple budget, you know? Like, it's not, I'm not getting paid very much here. But what are you asking me? And I don't think I'm willing and then we have this boy, right? This boy that maybe has only been following Jesus for an hour, for a day, but he's probably just going with his dad or maybe his mom and they're going because they're seeing all these miraculous signs. And, and so this boy who, who has just kind of met Jesus realizes, I have this meal. And he's hearing this awkward conversation. I don't think it's a fight, but he's hearing this kind of tension and this uncomfortableness. Like it's... I've never been in a fight with my wife ever, but I'm, we've been around people who have been in fights before, 
And, you know, it's kind of that awkward, like, I can still hear you. Like, want me to try to move? I still can't. You know, it's like, do you want us to leave? You know, like, it's kind of, this is probably happening. And this boy's got this food, and he suddenly realizes, I am the only one that has food around 5,000 men. Oh, no. Hungry men, much less. And so he's probably going through his head like, oh, no, this, could, this is going to get ugly. And yet he does something that totally contrasts what Philip was willing to do. Instead of saying, this is mine. I'm the only one that prepared this. I'm the only one that packed this. I deserve this. I'm going to take care of myself. Instead of doing that, he says, Andrew, here you go. And I believe that, that his first step, if, if we were to break it down again, and, and again, if I'm going to put myself in the position of the boy, and this was my food, my first step probably wouldn't just be, oh, I got food, here you go. My first step would probably be like, uh, maybe I should just eat it really quick. <laughs> or I'd probably do like four loaves, four loaves. I don't know where you got five, you know, or... Like, I probably would try to make some excuse or figure out some reason to try this. And ultimately, the reason being, because what good would this do? I mean, maybe it could feed Jesus and Philip and Andrew, Philip, who's not willing to give to anybody, but, but maybe it would help them. But what good would it do to feed all of you? If I'm honest, what difference will this make? And I believe that this boy's first step was simply saying, I don't know what difference this is going to make, but raising his hand and saying, Andrew, this is what I got. I don't know how this could make a difference. I don't know how this could change anything, but you can have it. And this boy does something that Philip, his disciple, who's been walking with him for some time now, is unwilling, unable to do. And I wonder how many of us in here believe that what we have to offer is not enough to make a difference. That the one thing we can do, the one step we can take, the one thing that God is asking us or going to ask us to do is not enough to actually make a difference. And yet we read here a story of a boy who had barely anything and Jesus took it and did something miraculous. My parents, when I was dating my wife, they gave me this awesome advice. If you are dating or looking into dating, great advice. Uh, They said, hold the relationship with an open hand. Meaning, don't force the relationship. Don't make it happen. Obviously, relationships go through tough times, easy times, and, and, and you got to work at it. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, don't force it. Don't make it happen. If, if you want it to be something that, that if God gives it to you, that's awesome. But if God wants to take it away, that he can. You're not gripping onto it, meaning you're not, you want to be able to listen to people who are saying, hey, here's a red flag, or here's something that you should look into, or I don't know if this is healthy. So they said, hold the relationship with an open hand so that it could be a gift, much less so it could be a God-given gift. And when we think about gifts, uh, Mother's Day is today, and we've said it a few times, so (laughs) some of you are like, oh no. 
Uh, <laughs> haven't seen anybody run out yet. Like, I gotta get a card. Uh, but, but Mother's Day, okay, so you, mothers, you hopefully will get a card or, or something or maybe just a hug, which is probably the best. And, and, and so one of the ways you receive that, uh, just a natural, let's say if you're getting a gift for those that aren't mothers, uh, dads or kids, like when you get a gift, the natural way to receive it is with open hands, Right? Just the natural posture. When you get a gift, you t- thank you. You know, you take it. You, it's not natural to be like, oh, thank you. I really love it. <laughs> you know, like those are contrasting your emotions and what you're saying. When you receive something, you have an open hand. And we challenge you even as uh, up on the platform here as a church that you would worship and you would pray with open hands sometimes. And that's not because there's something supernatural about it. It's not because it makes you more spiritual. It's simply a posture of representing what's going on in your heart. It's simply saying, I am ready and I'm willing to receive from God. I'm ready and I'm willing. I'm prepared to receive. And so as a church, we challenge you sometimes to, to, to do that. And like Steve said, you, you've seen these ones around and we told you this weekend's a little different. It's a reach weekend and you saw the light boxes that are out here and the one signifying what is your one step. If you have a brochure here, we got this cool uh, or brochure, booklet, pamphlet, whatever it is, but it's awesome. I like it. And, uh, but it has this question on the back. What is your one thing? The one stands for what is your one thing or what is the one step that God is calling you to take the tangible step? This isn't something that's five years down the road or one year down the road. This is something that we believe God is wanting to speak to you, whether it's this morning or throughout this week, and give you one thing that you can tangibly do to advance the kingdom of God. One thing, whether it be in your neighborhood or in the nations, like Jeff said, I like that, in this area code or another area code, or or, or, uh, he said time zone, What is the one thing that God is calling you, asking you to do to advance the kingdom of God? And so this is where the hands come in. We just went through the the open hands just represent a, a, a posture of your heart, just ready to receive, ready to accept from God. And so in a moment, we're gonna pray that God will speak to us, literally, that God will speak to us this morning, speak to you because he knows where you're at, and give you one step, one thing that you can tangibly do to advance the kingdom. Now, that might lead to a second or a third step. That might lead to more steps. Hopefully, that will, like the stories you heard from Ashley and Heidi that did, and that's awesome. But right now, we just want to focus on that one step. We want God to place that on our hearts. And so we can obey him. We can further the kingdom of God. Now, you may be in here, and as we even started speaking, or as you heard the, the, the videos, or saw the videos, or were in worship, and you heard that, what is your one thing? You read it on the brochure that you felt like God was already giving you that one thing. That's awesome. He wants you to continue to pray into that this week. If you're in here, and the reality is, we're going to pray here in a second, and, and you might feel like you don't hear God speak to you this morning. That's okay. Our challenge is that you would also continue to pray into this this week, physically, maybe putting out your hands this week and just asking God, what is the one thing that you want from me? What is the one thing I can do? Maybe it's an invitation. Maybe it's just simply like Ashley did, inviting somebody to coffee or for dinner. Maybe it's praying for somebody. 
Maybe it's a short-term missions project or short-term missions trip. Maybe it's giving or supporting somebody in a short-term missions trip. Maybe it's a long-term missions trip. I don't know, but I believe that God wants to speak to you. So us as a church, we're just going to ask God to speak to us. And that I want to challenge you to continue to do this throughout the week, whether he gives you something now or he doesn't, and you have to continue to pray into it for asking for the one thing, that this week would be dedicated to saying, God, okay, what is that one thing you want me to do? And once he gives that to you, that you'd pray into, how do I do that? So thanks for leaning in this morning. Thanks for continuing to ask God, God, what is my one step? For some of you, your one step this morning might be, They were talking about what a relationship with Jesus is like, and I don't have that. I still have questions, or that's something I want to start this morning. And if that's you, we'd encourage you to take one step or a couple and come down to this side of the platform and talk with some people and pray with some people who would love to talk to you about that. Some of you might have some things going on, some things that are hard in your life or some things that are exciting going on that you would love to pray with someone about that. And we'll have some people here this morning who will be on this side who would love to pray with you as well. you guys stand? We would love to pray for you as you go this morning. Our prayer now is the same as it was earlier when we started the service, which is this. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live life from deep within your heart. And may God bless you with anger, anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice and freedom and peace. And may God bless you with tears to share with those who are in need, who are sad or in pain, so you can reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with foolishness, enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you may do what others claim cannot be done. And this week, may God bless you with opening ears as you listen to the one thing he's going to speak with you.